Google's original name was called Backrub. <laughs> I just can't even imagine. I mean, it's a bunch of guys in a garage and they came up with Backrub. So I don't even know what would have come up with that. And then they went instead with Google, you know, which is a really enormously big number. And it is memorable. So how do you turn your business into an actual brand? Well, my name is Bijal Patel and I've had 13 years of corporate experience working at big Fortune 500 companies and I'm taking all of that juicy firsthand experience and have brought it into my company launch. Within this podcast, you're going to learn about branding, vision, identity, mindset, and how to scale your business to the next level. So let's go ahead and own your brand. How should you name your company brand, your podcast? What should you be looking at when you're looking to name your programs or your services? So the biggest, hairiest problem to solve is what should you name your company or what should you name a new sub-brand? I've been working with clients, especially in the last couple months on fixing bad names. And the first thing you want to ask yourself is, how do I know if I have a bad name? If that hits... With what I just said, you have a bad name. So a bad name comes about like this. One, you are constantly having to explain what it is that you're actually doing and what your brand name means. And you're having to explain that, hey, we don't actually do this. This is what we do. If you're constantly explaining, that is a symptom of a bad name. The second thing is, is if all of your clients just call you by your name, they're like, oh yeah, I work with Joe because he's awesome, but they don't know the name of your company and your company never gets referenced in any of your testimonial videos or your written reviews. That literally means even your own happy paying clients have no idea what your name is. That's not a good sign. The third thing is, is if you find yourself avoiding saying your brand's name. So for example, my company's name is Launch, and I say it all the time. I mostly am proud, and when I say it, I get this really good feeling inside. I feel excited about it. It perfectly fits our company and who we are. And I incepted that name five years ago when I first started the business actually in 2019. If you haven't heard this story, it's crazy. I got laid off from my well-paying job as a commercial interior designer. So within a couple months, even though I never had had dreams to be an entrepreneur, I decided I'm unemployable by anybody else and I need to do my own thing. So my husband actually helped me come up with the name Launch. Well, in the state of Texas, of course, there are a lot of companies named Launch for all types of different reasons. So I ended up getting my LLC is done as Launch Design LLC so I could actually register it. And then I did a DBA doing business as Launch. And so it's incredible to think about that I started as a commercial interior design company called Launch. And then I moved into branding and brand strategy, and it still fits. So the example of having an amazing brand name is that you're excited, you say it for no reason, you know, it feels really good to use it. People compliment you on the name. They're like, oh my God, I love that. That's so clever. Oh, it's, it fits so well. Tell me about what it means. So our company name launch has literally been so perfect because it future-proofed us. It didn't matter what I did because I was in the business of solving design, people, and business problems. Whether it was commercial interior design or it's now branding and brand strategy, we sit at the intersection of business, design, and people. Those are my three passions in life. So of course, it's going to make sense that I'm going to be pivoting potentially in the future even 
If I ever choose to change maybe an offer I'm making or putting in a new program, I can obviously name it, but it's still going to be under these three principles. So the concept behind launch is that we launch you and your impact out into the world. So whether that was through the vehicle of creating a three-dimensional space that's outstanding, that represents your company and your products, and it invites new team members to want to come work for you in when I used to do commercial office and did that type of design, or if it's more in the way of what I do now with brand strategy, that you attract your right clients. The team attraction is still real. Maybe the company name excites people and wants them to get curious, get them curious about what it is that you do. It didn't end up mattering because at the end of the day, we were helping lift people up and launch them to their new levels using their mission and vision. And whether it was commercial design or it's now brand strategy, those were just merely the vehicles. So when I help clients look at naming, first of all, let's talk about what they come to me with. They come to me with oftentimes a name that they incepted and they came up with because they're bootstrapping it. And there's literally no shame in that. Everyone has to start somewhere. So when people come to me, they're like, oh my God, I'm kind of embarrassed. I don't know how we named it like this. And the first thing I literally do, and I want you to listen to this, there is no shame in where you came from. You were supposed to bootstrap. If you're less than 10 or 20K revenue months, you're supposed to start somewhere and you can't spend a bunch of dollars that you don't have investing in people that you're not yet ready for. But here's the other thing. When you do get past 20K months and your brand name doesn't fit any longer, then you know it's your responsibility to do something about it. Because the longer and longer you wait with this, it's going to become a bigger and bigger and bigger problem. So what happens is our clients come to us, they either hate the name, which means that they feel shame. A lot of times they're like, Bijo, I feel totally out of alignment. Or you know, recently I'm working with a company that literally has the word sales in their name, except for they don't just do sales. They do marketing, they do branding, and they do sales. But the name is actually misleading. So it's limiting them from opportunities. And when leads and prospects talk to them, they're like, oh yeah, I don't have a sales problem. And they have no idea what this person actually does and it's limiting them from growth and being able to get new business. That's a, a bleeding neck problem that needs to be solved. So that's one symptom of what that looks like. Another symptom is that when you look at the name, your competitors might be similar to it, or it's spelled in a really weird way and people can't find you, or it's it just feels like it's really boring. Like if it's webuyyouleads.com. Okay, that might be for someone. That's a very direct response marketing style of what you do to name a brand. That's not going to be the kind of things that people want to say. People aren't going to want to say your name and feel like in love with it. Like, you think about names that stick with people and it's because there's some sense of feeling that's associated with it. Like when you think about Tesla and how that company's name was brought about from Nikola Tesla and the fact that he was completely overlooked and underrated and died broke. By the time he died, people were just laughing at him and making fun of him. So to watch the founder of Tesla, which wasn't Elon Musk, decide to name the company Tesla it was an amazing testimony to the power and genius that Nikola Tesla had. He was just ahead of his time. So that's commemorative and it's exciting, you know? And then you just had Elon Musk change Twitter from Twitter to X. And I think that's a bit questionable. What is undeniable, though, is the word and the name X 
created so much of a ripple effect that people were like, whoa, and it got a lot of attention. So it's amazing to think about some of these household names end up looking at their brand name and they get brand power because people can just simply remember them. They can just remember that name over and over and over again. So this is a fun fact. Google's original name was called Backrub. <laughs> I just can't even imagine. I mean, it's a bunch of guys in a garage and they came up with Backrub. So I don't even know what would have come up with that. And then they went instead with Google, you know, which is a really enormously big number. And it is memorable. So Google was insightful of using a name that's an actual word and it ties into something real, but saying Google is fun to say. I mean, we're talking about the people who were making web searches and then eventually ended up dominating search engine optimization. They went way past any of the Yahoos and the Bings out in the world and they outcompeted them. But when you have a unique name, it's gonna rise to the top in terms of SEO. Hey guys, just taking a quick break here. I wanted to say I'm so grateful for you tuning in to today's episode. I hope you are loving it. And if you wouldn't mind, I would greatly, greatly appreciate if you could leave us a review, like, subscribe, share this with a friend or somebody that you work with, somebody who's on your team. If you think it'll help them, I would be so appreciative to you. All right, let's get back to it. So those are some of the pieces that you want to be aware of, of what are the things you don't like about your brand name. It's a costly mistake because prospects don't understand what you do or they don't remember it or it doesn't incite a feeling within them that gets them excited or makes them feel good and makes them want to say your name. It's an enormous problem and it costs you literal dollars. So I've been reading this book by Alexandra Watkins called Hello, My Name is Awesome. And immediately the title got my attention. She's literally a naming expert. She used to work at Ogilvy. So that says a lot about her repertoire. And she had these two frameworks that I wanted to share. The first one was called Scratch, which is how to identify what a bad name is. S is spelling challenged. So if you do something that's unique or different, which I don't know if I totally agree with her on that, but I think if it's so far-fledged from what we thought it was going to be, I think that that creates an issue where people can't type in and actually find you or can't find your website. The other is copycat for C. Copycatting anything that's close to a competitor where people won't remember you. So if you're selling cars and then you're competing with cars.com and then you come up with carsplus.com, first of all, they're going to come after you with copyright infringement. But second of all, they're such, they're such a bigger, more dominant brand. They're not going to be able to find you. The third one is called restrictive and that's when it limits future growth. So that was the example I gave of my own clients where they literally had sales in their name, but they actually do marketing and branding along with that. The next piece of the acronym is annoying, where it seems forced or frustrated and customers don't like it. And she cites this example in the book called Wooza. And those people actually left an endorsement to the book. And it was hilarious because the owner was like, this was such a dumb name. And we thought we were being clever and cute. And literally no one likes our name, including us. No one can spell it and no one can find us. Tame. I want to talk about this. It feels flat and it just feels descriptive and it's super boring. So like, where can I get leads.com? So boring. It has no creativity, no imagination to it. 
see curse of knowledge. It only speaks to insiders. So if you are somebody who is like really, really like into your trade and into your craft and you decide to put out a word that no one knows besides yourself, no one's going to be able to follow you and know what it is you actually do. So I think being aware of that to say, hey, that's something that's insider jargon. You're going to want to avoid that. And the last part of Scratch is hard to pronounce. So it confuses or it distances newcomers. So a lot of people like to use like Sanskrit words. And I think Asana is a great example of being able to use something that's from Sanskrit. So again, I don't holistically say yes or no to this. I think there are times where Sanskrit words apply. But if it's like a seven-syllable word and no one's going to have a chance to be able to say it and they're not going to have any idea how to pronounce it, that's not a risk that you're going to want to take moving forward. So here is the SMILE framework. These are the things that you actually do want to follow and they do end up making a strong brand name. S, suggestive. So it evokes something about your brand like, it, like we talked about launch. We're launching people's mission, we're vision, we're bringing them up, we're putting jet fuel into their engine. There's a lot of like positivity and encouragement and literally we're going on a mission. So that one's a suggestive. Memorable makes an association with the familiar. So something that kind of draws you in and makes you feel good and makes you feel cozy, something that makes you feel good. Imagery aids memory through evocative visuals. So like, you know, McDonald's, when I think about McDonald's, it's like literally the M of the golden arches and how they took that and emphasized that in their visual logo. But then they also continue to repeat it all over their actual buildings. That's really, really strong in terms of imagery. Legs lends itself to theme for extended mileage. Apple's a great example of that. It literally has nothing to do with this iPhone or any of the products they were going to make. The apple is literally down to when Benjamin Franklin sat under a tree and an apple hit his head. And the concept behind Apple is to think different. So they can do anything under that parent super brand name and it's never going to be touched. So when they first came out with iPods and it was the equivalent of them competing against the Walkman, if they had named their whole company iPod or iPod Plus or uh, something silly like that, they would have been stuck under that naming convention. And when they continued to like develop the iPhone and then now we've got AirPods and all of these different things, their naming mechanism would have ended up failing them. And the last piece that most people miss is emotional. Does it actually move forward? Does it actually make people feel excited and generate a feeling within them? So when you think about a name, it's going to generate an idea, a feeling, emotion. There's going to be something that's attractive about what that name is, and it makes a difference between whether people are going to say it or not say it. So like if you think about Airbnb, I think that's a fantastic name. It's memorable. It's descriptive. It has the right imagery. It's suggestive. It's got legs and it's also emotional because when you think about Airbnb, you're kind of combining these concepts together. And, you know, one of their tagline is that you belong anywhere, you belong everywhere. And that's really cool because it's like a home away from home. So it's just really cool how they were able to tie that in. So to recap this, when you're thinking about a brand name, if you don't like it anymore and you're past 20K months, like come find me on social because we can actually help you to rename your brand, by the way. But I've given you a lot of the tips if you want to DIY it and you want to go that route. These are the mistakes that are really commonplace. So you can buy this book, Hello, My Name is Awesome. So you can go try that and I think that'll be awesome. But as long as you are aware that naming your brand the wrong thing creates a lot of 
confusion in the marketplace, and it's a costly decision because you're going to end up having to change all of your logos. If you have a website, you're going to have to change that, any of your domains, your email, and then any brand equity. I mean, if you're a brick and mortar and you have literal monument signs, you have signs that are up in your building, any of that stuff you're going to end up having to change. So it's better to rip off the Band-Aid now than have to wait way down the line. And the last piece I'm going to leave you on is if your business is named your personal brand, like if I had Bijal Patel right now as my business name, that is an enormous problem because you're never going to be able to, one, sell the business, and two, you're not going to sell it as a high enough multiple because the companies that evaluate your performance and look at your business financials are going to deem that you are too centralized to the business and you're literally the walking face and the asset behind the business. And so they're just going to knock you off multiple after multiple after multiple and is pretty much going to all this hard work you put into your baby is going to end up being useless. On top of that, your team can't really buy into something when it's your personal name and they can't get on board with it because it's all about you and how do they fit into that. So hope you enjoyed this episode. If you liked it or you have a friend who is a terrible business name, you can feel free to let them know, hey, there's something to do about this. But most likely, you're probably listening to this because you're either naming something new or you have something right now that you want to change. So if this had any impact on you, feel free to share it with someone or leave us a review. We'd love for you to subscribe. See you on the other side.